Hi, and welcome to North and Chick, a podcast about food, community and well-being. I'm Hayley North. I work as a holistic chef, food educator, yoga and movement teacher. And I'm Kirsten Chick, nutritional therapist, writer and author. Together, we are passionate about nourishing our community with food, nutrition, movement and in many other ways. In our work and personal lives, we meet so many inspiring people doing incredible work for their community. So we have a wonderful lineup of guests for you. We'll be sharing our conversations alongside recipes, nutrition tips and general life tips. We'd love your feedback, so please get in touch via our social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter as North and Chick. You can follow us there and also subscribe to our podcast to get an alert each time we release a new episode. Welcome to episode six in the Northern Chick podcast series. We will be talking very soon to Barbara Wilkinson of the Herb Society. Barbara is a passionate advocate for bringing herbs back into mainstream use and keeping the ancient knowledge of herbs alive. Barbara is a third generation herbalist, so this wisdom and knowledge has been passed down to her through her grandfather and her mother. And I'm always really excited to talk to people who have had this kind of experience throughout their childhood. As personally, I didn't have anything like this passed on to me when I was growing up. And so I'm gradually re-educating myself in these lost traditions later on in my life. Now herbs are becoming more and more a prominent feature every day for me, not just in the kitchen through culinary herbs, but becoming more confident to use them also medicinally and in homemade natural products, for instance, for body and home. But aside from their use, it's the reconnection to these plant beings that's the most important thing for me and to learn from them and the gifts that they've got to share with us. So Kirsten, what kind of role do herbs play for you in your life and how do you use them? Well, um, I do cook a lot. So I grow my own herbs in the garden. I've got a sage plant, I've got some mint, I've got some rosemary, they're my basics, oh, and some thyme. And then I have extras here and there like basil and so on. I'd like to really broaden that out, but I have a huge, problem with slugs and snails that I'm struggling to get on top of right now so I need to resolve that issue but they're the basics that I use fresh but I'm also a real massive fan of just getting a whole load of coriander or parsley or basil dill anything like that chopping it up and just chucking a handful as a garnish on top of a dish it adds flavor it adds nutrients it's an amazing source of vitamin c especially through the winter months so food is a really obvious place for me to be using herbs but there's also herbal drinks shampoos um, and some of the cosmetics even that i use are herbal based so herbs do seem to permeate my life i would like to be more educated like you said it's something that i didn't grow up 
with the background of kind of herb law and my grandmother's teaching me what all of these herbs do it's it's very much something that I've had to learn myself along the way but I've always had a certain connection to herbs in particular rosemary we had a massive rosemary bush when I was growing up I loved it. I don't know why I loved it. I just felt a real connection with it. I even called my favourite dull rosemary. And today it's by far my favourite herb. I cook with it a lot. I love the fact that I have a, a strong bush growing in my garden. I've been told it's my strength herb since as well. I even washed my hair with it this week. It was lovely and shiny. It was lovely and shiny afterwards. How about you? What, how are you working with herbs at the moment? You must use some a lot as a holistic chef <laughs> yeah herbs are now in everything um, I just love them and in culinary use I use a wide variety of herbs and spices in very much most of what I make and eat um, I pick and dry herbs to make my own herbal infusions for drinking I add them to DIY steam baths. I dry them and burn them instead of buying sage sticks or incense, for instance. I also use them in flavoured salt blends, in seasonings, in herb butters, in infused oils. So many ways now that it's hard to imagine that they were not always part of my life. And I'm always excited to learn more and I want to continue this education in herbs so much particularly the food energetics perspective fascinates me as well and this really inspires the work I do in the kitchen anyway so looking at herbs in this way is really important to me we can have a better idea of what herbs to choose and when depending on what our bodies need and looking at more how they work on a subtle more vibrational level instead of just choosing them because we like the smell or we like the taste and many herbs are really powerful and I want to be able to work with them consciously, not just to take them for granted or underestimate or their value or their potency and properties. Do you know what? Whenever I fancy a herbal tea, if I'm going to have it from a tea bag, I'll go and sniff the bags that I've got in my cupboard. <laughs> or if I'm having if I'm putting fresh herbs in because often I'll do that instead I'll just put a fresh herb in some hot water I'll go and sniff the herbs or see which one I'm drawn to see which one you know feels like the right one to have rather than read the labels yeah exactly because you know we may always gravitate towards a particular herb or a particular herb infusion if it's a tea for instance and it's just not right for us at that moment in our lives it might not be agreeing with us on a deeper level we might like the taste of it but it could actually be hindering us rather than supporting us so i really like this deeper understanding of herbs this more embodied understanding so to take some time to really get to know them instead of kind of jumping around if you like from herb to herb so at the moment i'm spending a a lot of time with sage and using that a lot I use it a lot in cooking anyway but also use that a lot in things like herbal steams whether that's in the facial steam or in the bath I use it in foot baths and I also yeah like I said use it in cooking a lot it just feels right and I, I generally just trust myself that if I'm drawn to something and don't analyze it very much yeah I know what you mean I recommend it to people I'm working with for menopause nutrition quite a lot specifically for hot flushes actually mm. and some women it works brilliantly for some women 
it just doesn't and I'm not here to analyze why that may be but like you say maybe there's a reason why it's just not right for that individual at that time so I I don't kind of labor it if it doesn't work let's leave it move on try and find something else but herbal teas are an interesting one isn't it she's one of my favorite subjects and bugbears so uh, <laughs> I'll try not to rant too much about herbal teas. no rant away but, yeah no I just find it such a fascinating <laughs> phenomenon um it's only really relatively recently isn't it that our supermarket I aisles and corner shop aisles are just now full of all these like super funky branded boxes of every kind of concoction and combination of herbs and spices that you can think of all now in this rapidly expanding herbal tea business empire. Yeah, it's really taken off. You know, I admit I do have quite a few of them in my cupboard. <laughs> but, you know, some of them I genuinely really like. But also, as I mentioned, sometimes I just go and pick some leaves off a plant. In fact, often I'll just do that. There's a couple of things with it, really. There, It fascinates me how we're drawn to the tastes of these tea bags you know oh that's a great combination oh I feel like a triple ginger now or I feel like a detox tea without really very much understanding of the individual herbs themselves what properties they bring to us is that what our body actually needs it feels like not really respecting the herbs for the power and the potency that they bring that they're just like this tasty drink Yeah, I'm so with you on that. And when I'm asking people what they drink on a typical day, sometimes people will be drinking eight, nine, ten cups of herbal tea just for the flavor without really considering what an impact that might be having. And occasionally that might be appropriate, but you're right, a lot of the time that's just a bombardment really, isn't it? Yeah, I know. And I wonder how different it might be if we were more tuned in to the herbs and the properties and the characteristics and what our bodies need, how we might choose our herbal tea or our our herbal infusion drinks differently. Yeah, totally. The other aspect of it, of course, is that we don't really know what's inside the herbal tea bags. Okay, it says what it is on the box, but how old are they? What kind of conditions have they been kept in? What journey have these herbs been on? Who's been handling them? How have they been processed? what plastic is in the tea bags exactly so that's a huge thing now isn't it and it's really interesting you know a couple of the brands that i've been buying for a long time because i i do really trust their quality have declared themselves to be plastic free which is really nice and reassuring but back to what you were saying originally it is a big business now and if i add up all the money i've spent on all the herbal teas in my cupboard and compare that to how much I could spend just on seeds or seedlings and grow mm. my own, it's it's a bit shocking, really. Yeah. Even Sarah Fernie in our last episode, she was talking about, you know, growing your own herbs. You know, everyone can do that, even if you're on the top floor of a block of flats, you know, you you, you can put some herbs on the windowsill or on your kitchen counter or on your um, terrace if you have one and we don't need to have a huge garden and an allotment to do that so that's one way that we could save some money and increase the <laughs> connection to these herbs and maybe develop a closer relationship with them 
Absolutely. And I bet in a block of flats, you're not going to have the problem with slugs that I have. <laughs> <So> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's one thing that I'm thinking having this conversation that I need to try next, actually, is to abandon trying to grow them in my garden and maybe get a window box. Yeah. And then you can make your own ones. You could go and pick some fresh mint leaves from the garden. I mean, I have been in some high street coffee shops and not being a coffee drinker, I generally gravitate towards the the tea selection and the fresh mint leaves in hot water has become quite a thing but there are some places charging a couple of quid for those three mint leaves in a cup of hot water oh my goodness <laughs> yeah. but it, you know it costs nothing I was around at a friend's the other day and it was the afternoon I really didn't want any caffeine at all and she put the kettle on and looked at me and said I don't have any non-caffeine drinks available at the moment so I just asked her to give me a cup of hot water I noticed she had loads of basil growing on her windowsill so I just plucked a few leaves of basil put them in the water it was utterly delicious didn't cost her a penny was a really good solution for me okay so let's go over to Barbara Wilkinson now following a lifelong passion for health and nutrition Barbara qualified as a consultant medical herbalist in 2012. She's a member of the College of Medicine and Integrated Health and runs the Springfield Clinic of Natural Healing in Cheshire. Barbara is an advocate of cultivating the use of plants in everyday life and keen to empower people with the confidence to embrace food as a medicine. As well as running her own practice, Barbara is a trustee for the Herb Society and has appeared as a guest speaker at numerous events and conferences. She has an allotment where she grows produce that is used for medicines within the practice and has worked with the Herb Society on designing gardens for the RHS Flower Show Tatton Park. In 2018, she appeared in the BBC's coverage of the RHS Flower Show as part of a special segment looking at fermented foods. She recently supported Alice Fowler in producing her new book, A Modern Herbal. Hi, Barbara. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, it's lovely. Thank you very much for inviting us. Absolute pleasure. We're just so overjoyed you could join us. So tell us more. You're a medical herbalist. How long have you been involved with herbs? Well, in truth, all my life. Um, as a little girl, I was always out and about in nature and absolutely loved like most little girls do um, to collect flowers and to take them home for mum or actually anybody who wanted them in the neighborhood um, being brought up in a corner shop in quite a built-up area some people never really saw much of nature so I was keen to share the love as such and take flowers home and all sorts of things and of course having an inquiring mind I wanted to know the names so I soon got to learn about the seasons through doing that sort of thing. So really, cold foot was one of the things at the beginning of the year that I used to collect. The very early yellow flower would sort of shout out at you and long to be picked. Very daisy looking, so very attractive. And um, so really, I've been doing it all my life. And because you ask, you learn, you find things out. And of course, mum was a herbalist, but not qualified. My grandfather was. So... It's a bit like being a third generation herbalist, really, although I've trained professionally, but um, I was brought up with herbs. So herbs were not only in our very small yard being brought up in a shop, but they were out in the wider aspects of nature, 
And of course, there was a lot around the house because <laughs> that was our go-to when we weren't well. Um, we were treated at home. We didn't really visit doctors. So it was a different way of life from what I discovered pretty quickly growing up from what the rest of my peers were doing. So, yeah, very, very different. So I've always been surrounded by herbs and had a home absolutely full of them. Nothing's changed. In fact, there's probably more now. <laughs> <laughs> and you say you've gone from picking coltsfoot and other herbs as a small girl and now you're a trustee of the Herb Society. So let's let's look at the charity a little bit first. Tell us more about the, the charity's history. Yeah, it was very interesting. I, I was fascinated myself to find out and discover why. And it really started with um, quite a strong, influential lady called Hilda Lale, who was planning to be a doctor. And she um, started off on that path, but she met somebody and married had a couple of children and, of course, couldn't continue. And unfortunately, her husband died as well. So she was left bringing up two young boys. But she'd learned that, of course, all medicine came from plants. She loved the botany. She enjoyed learning and researching. And so she amassed uh, quite a huge library, actually, and gained a lot of knowledge and, um, and skill. And, of course, her life was such that she managed to mix with other people who were classed, I suppose, as herbalists, just herbalists in those days. And she went on to um, actually work in that field and to help others. And she, she did extremely well. And she even collaborated with the well-known um, lady known as Maud Grieve, who wrote The Modern Herbal a book which is still on student reading list today and actually many members of the public have it. It's um, an amazing book with a wealth of knowledge in it and she edited it and she worked with Maud to help her get that into print. So Hilda was very well known but she wasn't very happy when the government were bringing in an act of parliament that was basically banning the use of herbal medication to the general public. And anybody that was a herbalist wouldn't be able to continue. In fact, most of the herbs would have been taken off the shelves of the herb shops that were in existence in those days. So naturally, she um, lobbied the government. She went to them and she stated her case. And the act was amended that as long as the general public consulted a herbalist, then they could um, still be treated as such by the herbalist, which was, of course, was important, still have access to them. So she and a, a number of other people really worked hard to ensure that we still had choices in our healthcare. Because even then, a long time ago, it seems like now, but in actual fact, you know, history does repeat itself. So there's a lot of things we can look at. Hilda was born in 1880 and she died in 1957. So that's the period of time that really we're talking about with her. She did a lot of wonderful things. She went on to open the Culpepper shops. She used the name and created different shops in most cities, starting in London, Bath, Bristol. And she was the herbalist with the consulting rooms. She used to see people through her shops. And she helped during the First World War and again during the Second World War. So having got to know her and, and read her books, because she was an author, very interested in nutrition and cooking and education, um, as, as much as herbs and herbal medicine and when you read her books her character really shines through and I kept thinking and still do I think I'd have liked Hilda I think we'd have got <laughs> on really rather well 
<laughs> we used no. to have a cold pepper here actually it was uh, it was my first introduction to to what herbs could really do that, that's in Brighton yes yeah well she was mainly in the south you see because she was sort of London area and rounded about so yeah it was it was very important and most people remember those days of course on her death it changed and the cool pepper shops went and eventually the growth of pharmaceuticals and the chemists replaced all the health food shops as such and all the herbalists that often worked in the high streets and, and places so that changed with time but she even created the lottery <laughs> she called it the golden ballot and um, she helped returning injured first world war soldiers to have somewhere to live she created a village with a wealthy landowner up in Lancaster and also one down in the south and it's still in existence today actually so she was very instrumental in generating income so that injured soldiers and their families would have a home to come back to and a life building churches and schools and all sorts of other things playing fields and everything so really quite remarkable so she was doing charity work even then wasn't she (laughs) She really was. But it wasn't a charity back then, was it? it was, didn't it become no. a charity when she died? What happened yeah. then? Yeah, well, because of the Government Act, um, she created the Society of Herbalists, which is a bit confusing because actually it just meant that it was a members group. So if you wanted to be consulted by a herbalist, you had to be in her members group. That's how it worked. Um, she didn't really charge people, though. Um, she only charged them for the prescriptions. So... It was on her death that things changed and then it became the charity and then it, it got its name of the Herb Society. And interestingly, Australia and America also have Herb Societies and we have connections with them even today. And it's all thanks to Hilda. Wow, she really sounds like quite a woman, quite a character. And I really thank you for bringing her into our awareness. I'm, I'm delighted to get to know about Hilda yeah, she's a fascinating lady. I mean, there's been some amazing uh, women through time, through history. Yeah. And um, I, w- I was fortunate to go to the village in Lancaster for the 100-year centenary, and they've got a plaque up on the side of some of the properties, some of the terraced houses, uh, which aren't like terraced houses, red brick, like you would imagine in Coronation Street. They're really quite <laughs> different. And the streets are lined with lime trees and growing in the grass verges is yarrow and all the different herbs and medicinal trees that we are still using in herbal medicine. So I'm sure she even had a voice in, you know, what trees to plant, because, of course, lime trees are for um, post-traumatic stress disorder. And even the fragrance helps. So it's amazing, isn't it, that the village is lined with those trees? Yeah. Incredible. So what's the main focus of the charity now? Well, the main focus is really a bit like in Hilda's day, that it was about education of herbs in so much that they're there to be understood, recognised for their virtues, because they're used in so many different ways in our lives and always have been ever since humans have been on the planet. And when you get certain bodies that want to disregard them or ignore them, And she was one who wanted to ensure that the knowledge continued. And that's really what the charity is about, that the knowledge of herbs is still there and recognised and passed on because our way of living has changed. And often now we don't live in communities and we don't share knowledge in the same way. It's a bit like cooking. We don't hand down skills often. So it's important to keep these skills and this knowledge alive. Many other countries around the world have done very, very strongly take China for example and they've put a lot of money behind herbs 
to prove that medicinally they do what they say that they do. So every culture around the world has, um, has maintained its connection. And Britain and America have been a little bit putting it on the back burner. And of course, it's very important that we understand the connection with nature and environment and the wider aspects of herbs. They're for everything, aren't they? They're for the animals, the insects, the pollinators, they're for the wildlife, they're for human health, they're for food, medicine, they're for crafts, they're for mental health. They're literally everything we can think of. So that's very, very important that knowledge isn't lost. So the charity today is very mindful of the fact that we need to keep herbs in people's minds so that they understand our connection with them and the importance of them, that they are things that can be used just for in the garden, but also in the kitchen, also in the first aid cabinet, etc. And that, of course, we can make things with them in crafts as well. And we can use them for our animals and, and pets and everything. So it's very, very important that we have a community of people that are keeping the knowledge and the skills alive. And of course, people are really keen to learn about these things. People tend to think, you know, about trends and fashion and, and new things coming in. And really, it's, it's all been done before. There isn't really anything new. It's just that we've sort of got, as they always say, disconnected. It's got forgotten about. And so to show people how they can work with herbs in so many ways and, and get so much satisfaction and pleasure from them and to help others with them, then it's, it's a very rewarding job. And that's really what the Herb Society is about. It's about education and keeping herbs alive in every sense of the word. They, they were our past, they are our present, and they certainly will be our future. So they're, they're not to be sidelined. I really resonate with something that you said recently in a conversation that we had about how interesting it is that all of this is labelled as the complementary, the alternative kind of medicine scene, alternative health. And it's like, no, yeah. it's the original health. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I say it quite a lot. And I've always been very vocal. And I suppose it's because of my upbringing. I was brought up in, in community it was very important. And that's continued with me all my life. So really, it's that connection and the way I was shown as a child and, and throughout life of working together and, and being in a community and to ensure that people understand that terminology tries to change the way we think often. And, you know, as far as herbs are concerned, humans have been using them ever since they've been here on the planet for literally everything. So you're quite right. They are the original medicine and it's the complementary and alternative which is the modern things that are still being tried and tested I so agree with that and um, and you've talked about all, all the yeah. different ways that herbs can be used all the different contexts who's the herb society for who can become a member is it just herbalists or do you open it up to no. other people everybody everybody, everybody. Uh, yeah in, back in Hilda's day yeah it used to be quite well for people that were in like the members group I suppose now we'll have anybody we'll literally take <laughs> anyone because that's what it's about it's for everybody in every walk of life no matter what you're views opinions no matter what it's a membership which is really building a community of people that are interested and that uh, want to learn most people that join the herb society are there because you know they believe in herbs and they want to learn more about them 
and they might be just starting out with a balcony you know, or a, a pot of basil from the supermarket and they just have that inquiring mind and that's really what the Herb Society is about to encourage that inquiring mind and to inspire and to promote and to encourage people to use and value herbs in, in every shape and form. So anybody, even um, we have members around the world and they get digital copies of the magazine and the newsletter. And we've got many people. I can remember we've even got a number in Japan. <laughs> oh, wow. So you don't have to be qualified or an expert. Anyone can join, no. anyone with an interest no. in using herbs in any yeah. way. Yeah, it's for amateurs and professionals. So we hope that we strike the balance in uh, meeting the needs of everybody. So there's everything there. And that's in everything that we do, whether it be the blog, the book reviews, the members magazine, the newsletters. And we're keen that members become volunteers to help as well. I mean, I know all charities and societies always say that, but really charities and societies don't continue without support. And as we have no external funding, we are totally reliant on membership and people coming forward to to help. And volunteers come and go. We all do our time and then things change. But frankly, the more the merrier, because so many people have so many skills and they can bring those along and they can they can contribute. They get so much from being in this kind of a community. It's very rewarding. So what is actually your role in the society and, and how did you get involved with it? Well, I'll take the last bit first. I was a Herb Society member, so I knew about it. Um, I'd been introduced to it by a herbalist friend of mine that I was working with and then became my mentor. And I started to look at some of the events that were being run locally and went along to some and very quickly got to know people. And then I was approached by the then council. They were rather nervous of the fact that potentially rules and regulations were coming in within herbal medicine and that perhaps they weren't quite up to date and they needed somebody to advise who was up to date and knew what was going on and they wanted to be confident when they put information in magazines and different places that actually it was the right information so they wanted to be able to have somebody to run things by as well so that's how I got introduced to it and I was only too welcome to get involved actually and then what was my role well ideally at first it was that but as you could probably tell, I do like to talk. And so I do like to communicate with people. And so I do quite a lot of events for the charity around the country. And I am a bit of a networker, I suppose, really. And then I started four years ago now to uh, learn how to do social media to progress the charity into um, the modern age. And so really just to raise awareness that the society exists, because I very quickly learned when I came into um, the role as trustee that not only are you responsible for the purse strings, which weren't too good at the time, the pot of gold was being eaten into. So finance and recovery of the society was a big priority to ensure its future. Because when I was at events, I just say to people, now, I presume you've heard about the Herb Society, the educational charity. All the, all the time was no, no, never heard about it. So naturally, it's a way of promoting. And that's really a lot of what, what I do. I've been very fortunate working for the Herb Society that um, many doors have opened, actually, things that I would have never thought possible some years ago. But people approach you through all sorts of different ways. And the charity has always worked for the, uh, well, with the RHS, I should say. They used to go to Chelsea Physic Garden, 
and do the Chelsea show at one time. Um, then charities are no longer invited, sadly. But Tatton still goes on. And because I live quite nearby, I'm the obvious choice to get very much involved with it. Literally, all sorts of things happen. I am really the main person that does the events, uh, but I do anything that I'm interested in, actually, and that I think will be of benefit to others, um, and especially the charities. So I, I give tours in physic gardens, like at Congleton, which is coming up in September. I go and work in community gardens, which I'll be doing this weekend with a colleague. So I do all sorts of things, really. Any opportunity to talk about my favourite subject, and that's herbs. And then I'm quite happy to be invited if I, if I can make it. So that sounds wonderful. It sounds like a, a really fun life to have alongside your practice and to open it all up. So to have the education side and to have all of the talks and events that you do and then yeah. have your own practice and your, your allotment and your relationship with herbs as well. Definitely, because I'm not the sort of herbalist who wants to work full-time, flat-out, back-to-back, Monday to Friday. No, certainly not. I'm a grower um, of herbs, and I like to teach, and I, I like to just have time with my plants, and I like to make my own medicines, and all the things that go on in the background of being a medical herbalist, and continuing your research as well, continuing to learn to bring things to your practice. So attending things is equally important. But yes, what I never thought or imagined really, the Herb Society has brought additional things. So I value it highly because it's brought another arm to my life, if you like, and one I really enjoy. Very privileged, actually. So let's bring it back to those herbs that you work with on a day-to-day basis. So you mentioned before that herbs have virtues. Can you describe a little bit more what you mean by that? Yes, I can. And the reason I say it such a lot is because I knew Christopher Headley quite well, who was a wonderful um, master herbalist, really. And he was very good at talking to people and giving stories. And the stories were a great way of connecting with people, children and adults alike, to explain about herbs in, in every sense of the word. And I often heard him use this word about virtues, and it resonated with me right from the word go. Because most people, when they see a herb or read about one or you're introducing them to a plant, the first thing they say is, well, what can I use it for? And I don't want to be difficult or awkward in in any way at all, because I'm delighted that they're inquiring and that they're questioning and and they're thinking about it. But really, herbs are for much more than just how we personally can use them. They, they have so many virtues. And that one herb that that person might ask that question about, I could probably write a book on. So it's not a one-line answer that I can just give quickly. And that's why it's difficult with Instagram, because Insta is instant, isn't it? And it's brief, and it's it, you can't really go into detail. But it's to ensure that people have that inquiring mind and that it opens up, it plants a seed. And the seed should grow and develop from that thought, from that idea. And that's, that's how I see the social media. And it's to encourage people and to just hopefully inspire them, hopefully, you know, pursue that inquiring mind. So herbs are never just for us. There's much more to them. There's lots and lots of virtues. So properties, medicinal, culinary, kitchen, potentially a craft. I've just cut goldenrod, for example, today, solid ego. 
just brought my head home, brewed a pot of tea, sat and enjoyed it, sat with the leaves. And I'll use the tops and the leaves to make medicine, tinctures, to dry some, to encapsulate, to do for future teas. I'll put them in a jar, enjoy them just as the yellow flowers are. I'll leave some on the outdoor table to see all the pollinators still enjoying them. I'll leave lots still on my allotment so that it can still be enjoyed by nature. And everybody who walks past you comments on them. So it's mental and it's physical. It's not just one thing. And of course, I'll make things out of them as well. And later in the year, with the stems bare of the flower heads and bare of the leaves, I'll use them for craft because those twiggy bits will make beautiful stars tied with string and used at Christmas. You know, sometimes we warm to certain plants. Why do we warm to them at certain times in our life? It's, it's so important that we go with it, go with that flow, rather than think, oh, I'm not, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if I should be doing that. Great if you've got somebody to ask and, uh, and speak to or something that you can refer to, but just give it a go. Just be brave enough. That's what we did in the past. That's what our ancestors would have done. There would have always been the wise man, the wise woman, the shaman, somebody around in the village. And that's why the community comes in, isn't it? Have somebody you can ask. Yeah, absolutely it is. So if somebody out there is like, I really want to get started with herbs, I really want to know more, what are Barbara's top tips for, for getting started? <laughs> well, what in, if you're in the UK, I would very much say we have to be aware of the seasons we have like a summer life and a winter life and the bits in between but it does vary and with nature it's about observation we're all nature watchers we have to be some will just see being a weather watcher that is involved as well naturally but we have to observe our plants and for starting out observation is the key thing really and look at the detail sit with a plant sit alongside it you're not only seeing but you're smelling you're touching they offer so many things and plants when they're growing when they're young are often hard to recognize especially if you're a novice if you're just starting out so watch it in all its stages so many plants even the leaf shape changes as it grows the first early leaves look nothing like the more mature ones later on in the year and to truly identify, you need to see the flowers as well, if it's, a, if it's a flowering plant or a flowering tree. So everything around us is a herb. The grass we walk on, right up to the top canopies in the trees, everything is a herb. So there's a lot to observe, a lot to watch. So it's a lifetime, isn't it? I've also been really inspired by what you've been talking about and the, the way you describe it as well really brings it to life. It's so colourful. Um, you've mentioned a couple of times your Instagram and anyone out there who's also on Instagram, do check it out. It's just glorious. So is it the Herb Society UK? Yeah, it is. I, I've been absolutely amazed. Nobody's more surprised than me because, you know, 10 years ago, I never even had a mobile phone. So the things you have to harness and you have to do. And when Alice Fowler said, you know, Barbara, get them on Instagram, that'll help promote the charity. I thought, well, there's only me that's going to have a go at that. So again, you look to your friends and family to teach you to learn, it keeps your brain active, it certainly keeps me active. <laughs> <laughs> It's a really lovely little insight and really educational as well. I'm, yeah, very grateful to have come across that. 
glad you enjoy it. And I'm so pleased that so many people do put lovely comments on saying exactly that. And I'm always saying, I'm glad you like my rambles. I do feel often like I'm taking people with me on, on my walks or sitting with a pot of tea with me or something. And it's nice. I get as much from it as others seem to get. So it's, it's lovely. It's a mutual thing, really. Brilliant. That's exactly how it comes across. So um, Hayley is a holistic chef, food educator. I'm a nutritional therapist. We're very food focused. So we always ask our guests to share with us a food memory. So Barbara, what's your food memory you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I've got lots really, but I always seem to go back to very happy memories of staying on a small holding, a farm on the Fylde coast when I was a child, because my parents worked hard seven days a week till 10 every night in a corn shop. And they didn't really have the time to stand in the kitchen and teach skills and things of that sort. Mum certainly was uh, rushed off her feet as my father was. I learned so many other things. But when I went to stay on this farm, they had an orchard. And of course, there was apples and plums and damsons and there was hens and ducklings in the orchard. It wasn't big, but to me, it was absolutely beautiful. And they had the wider landscape around the farm as well. And so there was all sorts of activity going on in nature. And I loved the fact of the seasons. I was there predominantly in the summertime when things were school holidays, a bit like they are at the moment while we're recording this, that it, it was on that turn of autumn when things were coming in. So we'd be harvesting and we'd be making. And I learned how to do jams and chutneys and listen to the sound, things like that. Little things that just tell you when something's ready, when you can hear the difference. You don't need a thermometer. You hear the difference and you can, you can tell when you've reached setting point. The same with bread making. They made all their own bread. There is the days before supermarkets and they were quite isolated where they were living. And they didn't just jump in the car and, and go shopping. So baking bread in like an old Rayburn oven and oven bottom muffins straight out of the oven that smell that feel and and learning what to do and how to cool it and then to maybe freeze it down and how to preserve how to use a larder a proper larder rice pudding with a nutmeg skin and butter absolutely fabulous so everything was in use and was home produced and it to me that was just heaven such very happy memories going to the orchard or going out to the chickens and getting the eggs and coming back and just creating something and learning how to do it. That's always been my first love, food and drink, because for me, it's foundation to life. It's critical. And even now, in practice as a medical herbalist, the first thing that I'm looking at with people is their foundation, you know, what they're eating and drinking. It's as important as the rest of the lifestyle. As Hippocrates told us, food is medicine, or it can be very toxic it can be a big problem so we need to know what people are doing and and to me having your herbs is about getting it in your food as much as possible and enjoying it and understanding why it's important yeah i was just going to ask you there actually if you would share with us a little bit on like your tips for bringing herbs into food yeah well i'm really keen to do that with people and that's why i do some workshops and talks and things of that sort when i went to malvern i was asked to do a demonstration and so i chose to do a demonstration on how easy it is to produce your own hummus and how you can change it and shake it up a little bit by adding different things to a basic hummus mix like 
perhaps grating some turmeric root in or putting different herbs through it. But I'm also a big fan of fermented foods and I particularly enjoy making my own fermented cider vinegar every autumn. Uh, I'm watching the apples now with great anticipation. Um, I'm very lucky people even come and they bring me apples or they let me go in a wheelbarrow and pick them up. (laughs) So I'm very lucky. So I, I do lay a lot of things down in vinegar and I think it's a great way of preserving herbs and actually getting the properties from the herbs through the vinegar and then using it every day. You can drink your vinegar if you wish to do, but certainly as a dressing on your veggies and your salads and everything else or incorporating it so that it's, um, it goes through your food. And, and the same with good extra virgin olive oil, infusing your herbs through olive oil. I mean, it's very Mediterranean really, isn't it, I suppose, because that's what has always happened. Again, it's not something that's new, but it's a great way of bringing the health into the kitchen and enjoying the flavours and the aromas, but also that thing about observing, you know, the colour changes that can take place. We did nasturtium flowers just the other day in fermented cider vinegar. Within 24 hours, this beautiful orange colour throughout the vinegar is just stunning. I mean, it's just, you just want to eat it. You just want to taste it and enjoy it. Well, that must taste amazing. Yeah. Cows are extraordinary on their own, but infused in olive oil. Wow. Yeah. Or or inside of an icky. You can do either or. And I think it's a great way of encouraging people to use the herbs. People say, oh, that's a culinary herb or that's a medicinal herb or that's a dyer's herb. Herbs cross over into so many things, don't they? But in the kitchen, they are key. You know, it's not just a Michelin star restaurant that wants to use herbs and edible flowers are the, are the other thing. You know, people think it's trendy to scatter edible flowers, chicory flowers, chive flowers, calendulas, pot marigolds, you know, nasturtiums. It's not, it's not that it's trendy, it's that we've always done it. You know, we knew what we could use and, and we did it. And they do say eat with your eyes, very, very important that it looks good and tastes good. And then it will do you good usually. And would Brilliant. you say like just just get as many and any herbs on there as you can, or specific herbs for specific things? You know, depending on how you're feeling and what you need. Yeah, this is about going with your intuition a lot of the time, isn't it? You know, some days it's like having a herbal brew. I mean, round my kettle, I've got four teapots, <laughs> and it depends what I feel like. You know, it's just like oh, I feel like this right now, or I feel like that later, or. You know, it's like somebody saying to you uh, in the morning, what do you want for dinner tonight? Well, I don't know. I don't know how much feel tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's, there's planning involved. There's thoughts in, involved. But it very much depends, you know, as the day goes on, how we feel about things and what we want to have and what we want to enjoy. And I think it's the same with our drink and, and our food. And, and walk down the allotment, I could get probably 50 flowers daily as now you know the day lilies all all the beautiful flowers that some people think are just to look ornamental in your garden well they've all got properties and they're, they're edible most of them different barks off trees different leaves of trees you know all sorts of things it's endless i never stop being amazed and excited and and i hope that aspect of life never changes because i think to keep the child within and enjoy and look forward to and get excited, I think is a huge, important part of life. 
and nature does that for me. I'm very lucky. We're very lucky to have met you, Barbara, and you're a real crusader on ensuring that this knowledge is maintained, passed down and, and kept alive. Thank yeah, you. I think it's, it's so vitally important. And meeting people like yourself makes you realise how our connections and how connected we are. You know, it's all about this interconnectedness, isn't it? And you, you build relationships, you seek out the people that you know you're going to have something in common with, and, and you can work together, and you can spread the word and the message much more easily when there's more of us, can't we? I guess that's what community is all about. It's, yeah, and it's a word that you've, you've kept using today. It's a real theme that spreads through our podcast because what we want to really champion is people who are really nourishing their communities in one way or another. And yeah. you're doing that in so many different ways. And you're also allowing these natural communities to kind of nourish each other and communicate with each other, educate each other too. It's through the position that you have as trustee of the Herb Society. It's just brilliant. Yeah, I'm, I'm really very lucky. I do connect people with other people all the time, all around the country, you know, because there's always somebody looking for something or has an idea about something. And I often think, oh, I know who could help you there. <laughs> but it's, it's lovely to put people together. It's that planting of the seed, isn't it? Yeah. Well, thank you for coming and planting some seeds here. We're feeling very privileged to have you on the podcast. Well, it's equally for me as well I've really enjoyed it girls thanks for making it very comfortable and to talk about our favorite subject food herbs nature it's an absolute pleasure thank you very much for giving me the opportunity okay so my cooking tip this month to continue on with the herb theme is to share a basic understanding of a salsa verde recipe so salsa verde is really wonderful. It's a fresh, vibrant, zingy, tangy, just absolutely delicious green sauce that goes really well with pasta, with fish, with chicken, with roasted vegetables, grilled halloumi, with eggs, with pulses. It really is very versatile. Uh, the classic salsa verde recipe is a combination of lots of fresh parsley and fresh basil, garlic, lemon juice, capers, anchovies, extra virgin olive oil, sea salt and black pepper. It's better hand chopped if possible as machines tend to turn the herbs and they lose their vibrant green colour. I also like it a bit chunky and not really a very smooth sauce so a bit more rustic. Now you can make all kinds of variations on this. You can use herbs such as tarragon or dill, mint, coriander, you can omit the anchovies if you prefer and use green tomatillos or green tomatoes, spice it up with green chilies or add spring onions. And once you've made it, store it in a glass jar, pour a layer of olive oil on the top. And if you're not using it immediately, pop it in the fridge where it should keep for about a week. Wow, thanks for that, Hayley. Love a salsa verde. And one of the ingredients I want to highlight from your recipe today is parsley. I'm a massive fan of parsley. I don't think it really gets the attention that it deserves. It adds some really great flavours, but it also packs a powerful nutrient punch. So I just want to run through a few of the nutrients that parsley contains that are really useful. So it's got a fantastic amount of vitamin K in there. 
Vitamin K is really good for blood clotting, which is so important, for example, if you clot yourself. There's also vitamin C, which is great for wound healing and general skin health, connective tissue health. It helps you make really healthy collagen. And of course, it's important for your immune system too. There are quite a few carotenoids in there as well, including beta carotene that we use to make vitamin A from an alpha carotene and also lycopene. So lycopene's usually thought of as the one that helps to protect men's prostates, but it has various uses around the body. They're all antioxidants. And the carotenoids, a lot of them are are really good for eye health. There's a a great amount of potassium in parsley too. But what I really wanted to focus on was the luteolin. Luteolin is a plant nutrient that a lot of you might not have heard of, um, but it has some really impressive qualities that have been looked at in scientific studies. And one of those is around brain fog. It's antioxidant, it's also anti-inflammatory and has shown to have anti-inflammatory activity in the brain itself, partly actually through its impact on mast cells, so reducing histamine levels in the brain. So it's really neuroprotective, so protective of brain and nerve cells, and it's been shown to actively increase memory. So a really great one there. And scientists are looking at this more and more. It's also been shown to inhibit autoimmune T-cell activation. So it might be worth considering for anybody with autoimmune conditions. It also has antiviral activity, anti-cancer activity. It's, It's a really great one. And parsley along with a few other herbs like thyme, for example, and chamomile too, they are really fantastic sources of luteolin. And there are some other general qualities that parsley has. So one of the things that we often take parsley for or make parsley tea for is to help with digestion. So whether that's bloating or constipation or other digestive issues, parsley can be really helpful. It's also helpful for bladder infections and it has this antibacterial action. And one of the things that I've often done with parsley is used it in conjunction with garlic because it freshens the breath. So it's a really <laughs> lovely one to put those two together, especially if you're going out after you eat. So you don't just think of garlic. Anyway, that's plenty on parsley. I'm sure there's loads more. If you have any favorite ways to use parsley, then do drop us a line. Thank you so much for listening today. We have several other episodes out there and you can subscribe so that you get notifications for new episodes coming up. So please do subscribe. Please do share with everybody you know, and please do send us your feedback. We would really love to hear from you. So if you enjoyed that, please subscribe to our North and Chick podcast and also follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter as North and Chick, all lowercase, no spaces.